This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome weekend, warriors of Michigan politics and government. Let's see. Was anything going on this week? Well, of course, there always is. And every week, it's a challenge in this year of years to match what happened in the previous week and the week before that and before that and so on. It goes on forever back in time. But let's concentrate on this week. Lots of stories, but let's mention three in particular. First, the Flint water crisis. Will it ever go away? Not as long as there are lawyers at work and money to be had. This week, it was announced that a settlement agreement between the state of Michigan government and plaintiffs from the city of Flint had been reached. An agreement in which the amount the state agrees to pay has been bumped up to $641.2 million. The money for this is supposed to come from what is called the Michigan Strategic Fund. But what that means is that the legislature will be asked to approve the payment of $35 million a year for the next 30 years to pay off bonds that Governor Gretchen Whitmer has agreed the state should pay. Now, folks, that's out of your wallets. No mistake about it. $500 million from state taxpayers and even national taxpayers has already been dished out to Flint. This would bring the total to well over $1 billion over time, all to fix a water system that is clearly getting special treatment that a whole bunch of communities with water system problems will never get. Is that fair? Just asking. Secondly, A furor with national implications. President Donald Trump has put on a full-court press on top Michigan Republicans in a bid to overturn statewide election results, showing he lost to Democrat Joe Biden in Michigan by more than 154,000 votes. As part of what has to be considered a long-shot effort, Trump early this week appealed to Republican members on the Wayne County Board of Canvassers before they filed affidavits attempting to rescind their votes to certify results, a step legal experts say carries zero weight. And with the Board of State Canvassers set to vote Monday for possible certification of statewide election results, the president invited top Republican leadership, meaning Speaker of the House Lee Chatfield and Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky to the White House for a Friday meeting. And as we speak, we still do not really know what came out of that, what the conversation was. Thirdly, it finally happened. Representative Bo LaFave, a Republican of Iron Mountain, and two co-sponsors introduced impeachment articles against Governor Gretchen Whitmer in the State House of Representatives. 
LaFave's House Resolution 324 calls for the impeachment of Whitmer for corrupt conduct in office and crimes and misdemeanors, quote-unquote. LaFave and his two co-sponsors, who are Republicans Matt Maddock and Representative Dare Rendon, introduced a resolution calling for Governor Gretchen Whitmer's removal over her handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. Maddox said on Monday of this week that he thinks Democrats are just as fed up with the governor's orders as Republicans are. The resolution introduced by Lefebvre, Maddox, and Rendon contends Whitmer has exceeded her constitutional authority, violated constitutional rights, issued orders not in the best interest of people in the state, and, quote, used the pandemic as an opportunity to reward political allies, unquote. It claims she has failed to respect separation of powers by exercising powers expressly granted to the legislative branch in the Constitution and issued executive orders that have, quote, reordered life for every person in the state, unquote. Among those orders is prohibiting evictions, banning non-essential medical procedures, permitting public bodies to meet electronically, permitting public bodies to delay fulfillment of public records requests, closing businesses, and requiring residents to stay in their homes with limited exceptions. The resolution says Whitmer has used executive orders to restrict and, quote, effectively ban the free exercise of religion, unquote, in the state of Michigan. Her orders have limited the number of people who may gather in one place to participate in religious worship, according to the resolution. The resolution also states she has taken a number of, quote, extreme actions, unquote, like banning, quote, the use of motorized boats, unquote, while non-motorized boating was permitted. It also said a no-bid contract was let for contact tracing, quote, utilizing state resources to reward political allies, unquote. The resolution was referred to the Committee on Government Operations, chaired by Republican State Representative Jason Shepard of Monroe County. There are five members on this committee, three Republicans and two Democrats. Whitmer's office earlier this week called this resolution, quote, partisan politics and said she doesn't have time for, quote, people who don't wear masks don't believe in science, and don't have a plan to fight this virus, unquote. So let's ask what the reaction of the Speaker of the House, Lee Chatfield, who I mentioned has been summoned to the White House by the President this week, has to say about this resolution. Well, he announced almost immediately that the House will not be taking up an impeachment resolution against Governor Gretchen Whitmer. And he called such a move a, quote, distraction from the real issues Michigan families are facing in our state, unquote. So one of LaFave's co-sponsors, whom I've mentioned, Representative Matt Maddock, who we hope to hear from in a few minutes, 
argued that Whitmer ignored court orders by using the Department of Health and Human Services as a go-round after her executive orders were invalidated by the Michigan Supreme Court. Maddock also accused the governor's administration of allowing, quote, unnecessary death, unquote, of the elderly in nursing homes. But Chatfield said that he agrees with other members of the House who have spoken up on this subject and many others who have reached out to him. And he said, and I quote, we won't be taking it up, unquote. Impeaching the governor would take 55 votes in the House, and Representative Mike Mueller, a Republican of Linden, was among the Republicans who told Michigan Information and Research Service newsletter he would be a no vote at this time. Mueller, in effect, thinks that the proposed action is premature prior to any conclusions reached by the special House and Senate panel that is reviewing Whitmer's conduct during the COVID crisis. Mueller said, I'm going to quote here, if any gross misconduct or criminal activity comes to light, it would then be prudent to start the impeachment process. To be frank, I believe it would be a waste of time and resources to begin impeachment before the committee completes its work, unquote. On top of that, Mueller said he's done the math and it's he's not convinced four Democrats in the Senate would join with the 22 Republican senators to bounce Whitmer out of office. Uh, he's right about that, folks. No way would any Democrat vote for this. Stay tuned because we've got some great guests coming up and there's more for you to listen to. Stay tuned. This is MTN. And you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We have returned as promised, and we are so fortunate to have on the line with us Representative Matt Maddock of the 44th State House of Representatives District. He's a Republican from Milford, and he represents all or part of five townships in Oakland County, I believe. Welcome to The Political Insider, Representative Maddock. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Good morning. Good morning. You are, I know, chairman of, I think, the House Appropriations Committee on Transportation. Is that correct? That is correct. And you're also a business owner, and I think you've been a bail bondsman for three decades. Quite a good background. Yeah, it's been been about 30 years, a bail bondsman and a private investigator. Okay, so despite all that, (laughs) what I really want to talk to you about is the resolution to impeach Governor Gretchen Whitmer that was introduced this week by Representative Bo LaFave, a Republican of Iron Mountain, with you as a co-sponsor, and Representative Dare Rendon, who is uh, from the northern part of the Lower Peninsula, as co-sponsors. Tell me, uh, what is your thinking in doing this? Well, you know, one of the best things about the democracy we live in and the constitutionally limited republic that we have is um, the little guy always has a voice, okay? No matter how little the little guy is, there's always going to be someone that he can go to to make his voice heard. And what the governor has done by carving out the legislature, the legislature, legislature and the legislative process is just wrong. And let's start with a couple things, you know. I can assure you that just one, one issue alone, okay, putting our frail COVID patients together with people in nursing homes, that is completely unacceptable, okay? And I assure you, 
that if that topic alone were to come to the House floor for debate, okay, we would have debated it, we would have had, we would have talked about the issue, we would have researched the issue, and I guarantee you that not one single member on the House floor, Democrat or Republican, would have thought, hey, this sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> you got that right. Well, let me ask you, I mean, you are brave souls, you and Representative LaFave and Dare Rendon, you put your names on this resolution but there's probably a lot more support among the membership, particularly obviously on the Republican side in the House, than is represented by the co-sponsors of the bill, right? I mean, you, you don't feel like you're three against 107 members of the House, do you? Uh, no, but you know what? I don't blame some of these House members. If you look at what the left has done recently, when you when you disagree with them, they you know they want to come and burn down your house. Look at what happened with the uh, Board of Canvassers in Detroit. I mean, those people were threatened. They were afraid. I don't blame them. You know, in, in this in this society, we have, you know, we get death, thre- death threats and uh, they're routinely ignored by law enforcement, too. You know, uh, the House is got committee system set up. You've got a government relations committee, government operations committee, I should say. Yep. And I think the bill has been referred to that. Have you talked to the chairman of that committee, Representative Jason Shepard, about whether or not there's any chance? He would look at the bill or hold a hearing on it or anything. I mean, we're running out of time in this session of the legislature. It ends uh, at the tail end of December. No, I have not had any personal conversations with uh, Rep. Shepard yet, though. But oh. I would hope he would take it up. I mean, there's a lot. There's millions of people out there right now that are that are fed up and they, they're at their wits end. Uh, they're losing businesses. I mean, there's there's still going to be people dying because they're not getting the medical attention, the medical care they need. Um, you know, college, high school. Students and college students are being denied, you know, educational opportunities left and right, scholarships and more. Um, suicides are up. Um, depression is up amongst our college kids and high school kids. Uh, there's drug and alcohol addiction that's way up. Um, you know, we have livelihoods being completely destroyed here over this, too. Not to mention the 250,000, you know, people that work in restaurants that are going to be out of, out, of, out of business and unemployed during the holiday season. But I don't for a, don't for a moment think this is going to be for a couple weeks, okay? When we first started this thing, We've been very, very, very obedient in Michigan, okay? We flattened the curve the first time with no mask. Then she asked us to wear a mask. We did that. What happened? She asked us to wear a mask longer. It, it, I see a pattern here. I, I don't think it's going to stop. Did you talk to Speaker Lee Chatfield at all before you introduced this? Because he's come out with a statement saying uh, this is not even going to be taken up. I mean, does he have the ability and power to do that unilaterally? Or could the committee chairman and you and others decide to go your own way whether he likes it or not you know what no i didn't i didn't i did not contact someone to do a poll and, and poll every person in michigan either you know what i don't need to have a poll tell me what to do i'm just doing what's right what people in michigan want do you think that if this resolution dies at the end of december because it hasn't been taken up and there's been no vote on it you think you and Representative LaFave and Representative Rendon and maybe others will reintroduce it early next year, or will you just kind of wait and see? You know what? I want to do whatever it takes because these families and these victims of people who died in our nursing homes, especially, they have a story to be told. And I, I, I hope that we give them this opportunity to have hearings and, and tell their stories because did you know what, Bill? Some of these people in nursing homes, because of depression and other things, they didn't have any contact with family. You know what some of them did? They starved themselves. They stopped eating. These families need to have their stories told to let other people in Michigan know how wrong this is. Have you talked to any senators? Because, as you know, impeachment is a two-step process. The House votes 
by majority, and I think it would require 55 votes now because you're a little shorthanded with less than 110 members. Uh, If that passes the House, then it goes over to the Senate and it requires a two-thirds majority over there to convict. And there have been only two times in Michigan history, believe it or not, that that has happened uh, where there's been an impeachment resolution that has passed the House and gone over to the Senate. Neither involved a governor. One involved a land commissioner in the 19th century, and the other involved a Gogebic probate judge, Gogebic County probate judge in the middle of World War II, Uh, He was not only impeached but convicted. He's the only person ever removed from office by impeachment by the legislature in the entire history of Michigan. The land commissioner in the 19th century was impeached by the House, but the Senate did not convict him. So if you get two-thirds votes, have you talked to any senators over there? Are there some people in the Senate who are just as supportive of what you and Representative LaFave and Representative Rendon have done as you are? Well, S- Senator Lana Tice and, and Lowers have uh, expressed interest, and they said uh, when I did my original post on Facebook a couple of days ago, they uh, said they were in support of having these hearings. So, you know, I didn't call every single senator. No, I'm, I'm not the jury. I think we need to start this thing. I'm going to focus on members in the House, and I think there's going to be more of them that will hopefully sign on. And if you're listening to this and you think this is something we should pursue, you know, call your state legislators today. What are you going to do in the coming days and weeks? I mean, I'm not even sure how many session days you've got left. Representative? Um, Yeah. I mean, the the question is, what do we do? Well, I mean, how off how much chance do you have to really meet? Well, we'll see. I mean, this doesn't have to be done this session. It can be done next session also. We also have incoming freshmen that are interested, have, have signed on also. So uh, this isn't the, this is just the beginning of a, something that may take, a, you know, may take a couple months or six months. Who knows? But the bottom line is she needs to get the legislative process involved. She needs to ask those back to the table. You know, leaders of Lansing, Mike Shirky and, and Lee Chatfield, have been asking for months and months and months to meet with her. And we shouldn't have to wait eight months to ask for our, to have our rights back, our constitutional rights back. Yeah, that's a good explanation of your thinking at this time. Well, look, uh, Representative Maddock, you've done a great job of explaining the situation, and you've demonstrated a lot of bravery, I must say, in introducing this resolution, unprecedented, against a sitting governor to impeach her. Uh, and we'll see what happens going forward, but it looks to me like there's A lot more activity ahead. Thank you, Representative Matt Maddock of the 44th House District, Republican of Milford, for being our guest. Thanks for having me on, Bill. We'll be back in a minute with more. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we are very lucky to have another prominent legislator on the line with us, Representative Mary Whiteford of the 80th House District. She's a Republican from Casco Township in Allegan County. I think her district includes seven cities, and Casco is one of 21 townships in the village of Douglas. Is that correct, Representative Whiteford? That is correct. 31 townships and cities. Wow. Um, Okay. (laughs) Well, you are chairman of the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Health and Human Services. Uh, You had a 
uh, career in uh, as a nurse in neurosurgery, and I think you're now running a financial planning uh, business with your husband. Is that correct? Yeah, so my husband and my three children all work at the business while I do my work as a state representative. So I'm separate from that, but I still own it. You know, it's part of the family business. That's great. Well, House Speaker-elect Jason Wentworth, your colleague, a Republican of Farwell up in Clare County, has appointed two temporary committees to get the ball rolling for the coming legislative term, the 101st legislature beginning in January. And one of the uh, two committees is called the Committee on Committees, and it will work to determine committee assignments beginning in January, and it's going to be co-chaired by you and Representative Mike Mueller, who's a Republican of Linden in southern Genesee County. So I just want to ask you, is this kind of a new approach, um, having a committee on committees? Has this been done in the past? Why was this committee formed, and how are you going to operate and put together the committee structure going forward? Okay, well, that's a really great great question, because the first time I heard that term, committee on committees, it sounded kind of odd. But what it is, um, there are 110 state representatives in our legislature um, coming from all different backgrounds. There are 21 current policy committees. There's 18 current appropriations committees. So it's a really big deal to make sure that people who have good skill sets, good problem-solving skills, uh, to work through, number one, on the policy side, you know, the the policy uh, bills that we face as a legislature over the next two years are really dependent on the input and the collaboration between all the members of the policy committees themselves. So to make sure that there's a good mix of people in there, a Republican, Democrat, and people that can work together. Uh, then there's 18 appropriations subcommittees. So there's there's a few more than 18 departments in, um, in the executive branch, you know, from uh, Department of Agriculture, Capital Outlay, Judiciary, Corrections, Health and Human Services. So these are all very big departments within our state, and each one has an appropriation because, as many people know, the legislature's primary responsibility besides uh, working on policy is making sure that money is appropriated properly to all these different areas. And so um, and our budget is... I think this past year went up to $64 billion. Um, I've got the Health and Human Services budget, and that went from just over $26 billion to over $28 billion. And the big reason for that is the amount of additional people who are on Medicaid. That's the biggest part of it, uh, Medicaid, Medicaid expansion. So it's very important to make sure that we've got um, people who are willing to do the work and work together and really weigh all the different um, scenarios, all the different things that impact, because every single decision we make affects almost 10 million people in our state. And so that's why it's really important, especially, you know, there's people who are in local government. They have their population, like Tesla Township, right by South Haven. You know, they've got their people to represent, and I need to make sure that each person doesn't just focus on one area, but the entire state with what implications that they have as state legislators. And I'm really excited, actually. So me, I come with a pediatric emergency nurse. So I start I started out in pediatric neurosurgery, and then I worked in pediatric emergency room um, at a inner city hospital. So I'm the calm one out there because I know CPR, right? <laughs> 
And then <laughs> I've got some business understanding. Um, I've signed both sides of a paycheck. I know I can't spend more than what we bring in to our family business. Well, that's what I, the perspective I take at the state level as well. And then I've got Representative Mike Mueller. He's currently a first-term representative, and he's got a policing background as a sheriff's officer and understanding what it's like being boots on the ground, keeping our his community safe, and he can bring that to a higher level um, for our full state. You know, how can he make sure that um, everybody's safe? How can he put together a team? Because through Committee on Committees, we're putting together teams that are willing to work together collaboratively. And there's going to be disagreements, of course. That's what we want. That's part of the legislative process. Look at all sides of every issue and come together from, you know, the introduction of the bill to the committee, to the full House, to the Senate, to the full Senate, and on to getting the governor to sign it. So um, this is a really important role, and I'm really honored that Representative Wentworth is entrusting me with this over the next, um, probably till the end of June, or sorry, the end of January, when all these committees are formally announced. Yes, uh, Representative Whiteford, um, you mentioned policy and the other committee that uh, House Speaker-elect Jason Wentworth appointed is called the Policy Action Committee, and it's going to meet with incoming House Republicans to discuss their top priorities and collect policy ideas. Uh, The committee is supposed to use that information to build the new House Republican Action Plan, and that committee is going to be chaired by two other of your colleagues, Representative Graham Filler of DeWitt in Clinton County, north of Lansing, and Representative Steve Johnson from Wayland in West Michigan, not too far from your district. Um, But let me ask you, have you already, as co-chair of the Committee on Committees, have you sent out questionnaires to all these new incoming members and maybe even current members on committees already in this past session to see if they want to change committees, uh, change assignments, and what new assignments do the new members want? Or have you met with them personally? Or are you going to? And how fast do you have to do this? Yeah, so you bring a, you're spot on on this, is that we need to find out where the passions are of each individual. And yes, maybe, like I was in policy committees in my first nine months when I was elected in the special election, and then I decided that I would have more impact being in the appropriation process where I can work policy into appropriations. But, you know, you find out what each individual skill set is. We did send out surveys this week. We are getting them back from, from all members. And then we're going to weigh all these things. Um, and it's all a process. So we're going to make some recommendations, Representative Mueller and I and our committee, um, probably getting towards the end of December. And then we're going to make those recommendations, of course, in confidentiality, to Representative Wentworth so that he can weigh the information that we are recommending and make a final decision. But it's, it's a nice process. But we're working rapid fire, of course, just reaching out to all members, listening to them, doing the surveys, um, and then working with uh, Representative Wentworth to see the direction that he wants to take this next legislature as Speaker of the House. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question of whether you want to be on a so-called policy committee or whether you want to be on appropriations, the spending committee. And you mentioned you started out your first nine months. And by the way, if you are reelected and reelected, you get more than six years, right? In in the yep. house. <laughs> because Yeah, there's actually three of us, David Bagrand, yeah, uh, Gary Howell, and myself. We all got sworn in on the same day, March fifteenth, two thousand sixteen. Wow. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. because the nine months doesn't count as part of a term because it's less than half the term. So you get to serve three plus years, and that's better than anybody else in the house. So, you know, you lucked out on that one, although maybe that's not the way you were necessarily looking at it at the time. Right. But it is. I mean, this will be my fourth speaker. I've been able to see how each speaker managed their role. And um, it was really, really interesting. I tell you, in that first nine months, I sat there at the end of the term when outgoing representatives were giving their final speeches. And I just looked around and I listened. I'm like, you know what? What did they do or not do to have the most impact and for people to really uh, care what they think, what they say? Do And it really gave me an idea about how to be a good representative because you can sit there and, and shout out all these different things you want to do, but unless you go and convince people that what you've done, you've worked hard, you've worked through all the processes, you've listened to people, and that you can be trusted. And that was a really big thing that I learned in those first nine months that gave me an edge up to people who got elected who are currently serving with me. Um, that is and great. So I think it's... Yeah, Representative, uh, you know, honestly, I want to keep going. There's so many more questions I want to ask you, but we're out of time. Uh, Believe it or not, it goes fast. But this is Representative Mary Whiteford. She's done a great job of explaining what she's going to do as co-chair of the Committee on Committees. Thank you, Representative Whiteford, for being our guest. You're welcome. Thanks for reaching out, Bill. Have a great day. Same to you. And we will be back with still another guest. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back with our favorite high school teacher of English literature and film, Ann Russo of Holt High School near Lansing. Ann Russo, thanks for being our guest. Thanks for having me back. Okay. uh, A year of massive confusion (laughs) in Michigan. Uh, Pretty much, yes. (laughs) K-12 public education, no question about it. Uh, Look, we've had you on as a guest several times before. You've given great status reports on what you've been going through and what teachers everywhere and classrooms and students everywhere throughout Michigan have been going through in this year of years. Um, And most recently, uh, you know, just last Sunday, the governor announced a – three-week pause in uh, full school in-person learning. Uh, Did that have any impact on what you have been doing, or were things already going along in such a way that what the governor said didn't make that much difference? Yep. I'm, excuse me, at um, Holt, we've been virtual since the first day of class, and we are going to stay that way until at least January 22nd. So starting August 31st, all of us were teaching virtually, and all of our students were learning virtually. And we were told initially after the governor made her announcement that we were not allowed to go in the building after this past Tuesday. However, our district has allowed some exceptions for that if teaching from home is not as effective, because many of us were going into the school nearly every day just to have the better technology and sense of teaching, quite frankly. I see. So when you say us, you mean the teachers? Yes. So in other words, uh, you have been doing everything online from the beginning of the school year this fall, whereas, as I understand it, other districts have had kind of a mix, some in 
in-person classroom teaching and some online. And I don't know if any schools are doing it fully in person. Actually, yeah, my two sisters work in smaller districts in southern Michigan, Reading and Camden Frontier, and they've been back to school since the get-go. Um, socially wow. distanced masks, and they just recently, um, my sister in Reading, who's a counselor, and my uh, sister Carmen, who's a counselor at Camden, um, they've both gone completely virtual. So Reading decided to, the week before the governor's uh, message on Sunday, and then Tuesday was the last day for students at Camden Frontier for my older sister, Carmen. Wow. So you're saying that at Holt High School, just south of Lansing, uh, the teachers were at least, uh, many of them, and some were doing it from home, but many of them went into the school, you were going into the school, uh, to connect with your students who are all at home learning, right? Yes. And to add on to my proverbial plate, I signed on last year to have my 11th Michigan State University teacher intern. So I felt an obligation to her to work from our classroom and have that collaboration be in person, socially distanced, of course. But um, I just didn't feel comfortable teaching from home and trying to assist her through her really interesting year of first year teaching. Yeah. Well, so in other words, uh, things were perking along until the governor's announcement last Sunday. And then you say she's basically saying you can't even go into the school uh, or she didn't want you to go into the school. And your school basically is enforcing that. So now you have to do it from home uh, at least for the next three weeks. Is that right? Well, we have interpreted the statement that she made, I guess, different from other schools. Um, I've talked to administrators around, and some are interpreting the allowance of teachers and staff to go into the buildings as a health um, department discretion, whereas our superintendent has interpreted it differently. So we are allowed back in the building if the teaching that we're doing virtually is more conducive there. For instance, when I'm home with my two children who are in seventh grade virtually learning, obviously our Wi-Fi is taking a, a larger hit than when they're not here So, and learning at their dad's. So um, if we have the opportunity to have better technology at our school and teach more effectively from our buildings, we are allowed to go in, at least at this point. So are you teaching today? Yes. So are you in the school or at home? I am at home today. You're at home today, but you yeah. can feel free to go back and forth if you want to. You can go to school to do it. Yes. Yeah. Well, let me ask about the, the key question is how is the experience working out for the students and you? I mean, do you feel you're getting the job done? Are the students learning as well or better or worse than they did in the good old days before the pandemic hit us? Oh, I think there's no doubt that in-person teaching is incredibly more effective than virtual. There's there's just no doubt about that. I, I agree that some students may prefer the online because they have social anxiety or other issues that prohibit them to, to fully focus um, and while we're in person. But the majority of the students, and I have 126 students this semester, um, I have... I have all juniors and seniors, so um, they overwhelmingly 
are ready to go back face-to-face. They understand the, the risks and why we're home right now, especially with the numbers kind of exploding, but they agree wholeheartedly that being in person is more, it's just better. It's, it's learning and teaching in a way that we can make relationships and are more connected. Although I will say having the anxiety I had at the beginning of this year, I've never had in 20 years so much anxiety about teaching from a screen, that's for sure. The students have been so amazing. I just have such great kids that they're making it feel almost normal, even though we're only interacting through my little laptop or desktop screen. Well, that's really heartwarming. What about so-called pods or pads that I've heard about? I mean, where, as I understand it, groups of students can perhaps get together uh, in, you know, maybe socially distanced and wearing masks, maybe in some small facility or building or room and, you know, kind of collectively interact with you, the teacher, at a remote site. Am I describing it right? And is there anything like that going on at Holt? Um, individual, Individual families have chosen to do that. One of my really good friends decided to do a pod with her smaller children. So she had six um, children from three different school districts working under a caretaker slash nanny slash new teacher in her home while she was at the school teaching and the other parents were working uh, virtually. So she chose to have a pod of learning, a learning pod in her own home with six students. And they just decided to be really strict about keeping their circle small, so to speak. And um, just recently, since the numbers increased so much of COVID cases, they decided to kind of disband the, the pod for a bit. But um, I've heard of individual families doing that, and I've talked to some of my students' parents who have taken in neighbors' kids and their, their own children's friends to help facilitate the learning from home. So one of my moms has her own four children and a neighbor's child, so five children, ranging in age from teens to um, preteens, all learning throughout the day in our house. So it's a lot. It's like the old one-room schoolhouse. Yeah, you could say <laughs> that. <laughs> well, uh, we're almost out of time, but let me ask you, how about the rest of your teachers uh, at Holt High School? Are they all pretty much on the same page with you and the way they look at this experience? What do they think about the governor's orders, uh, do they feel they're complicating life at Holt or uh, what? Well, I'm kind of the anomaly, and I don't know exactly why that is, but um, I would love to go back. I'm more concerned about students' mental health issues than physical. I know equal, both are of equal importance, but I just worry a lot about the isolation and um, – disconnectedness that my students are feeling. Again, I have three full classes of seniors and their senior year is nothing what they expected to be expected it to be. The end of their junior year last year was nothing that they expected. I realize they're teenagers and that they can get over it and it's not, you know, a huge thing in the grand scheme of the world, but they are feeling alone and sad and resentful. But on the whole, my staff feels like the governor is doing the right thing by keeping us safe physically at home. And I agree with that to a point, but I tend to worry more about the mental health issues regarding 
the isolation on virtual learning. Yeah, well, I think we all hope that all of this ends soon rather than later. Uh, Maybe that's wishful thinking, possibly, but hope, you know, dawns eternal. Thank you so much. And Jacoby Russo, our favorite teacher of English literature and film at Holt High School. And Russo, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. We'll be back next week with still more. You can count on it.